This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Postal Service is expanding its plans for electric trucks, a strategy that puts it ahead of the Biden administration's so-called net zero emissions goals. USPS plans to purchase 66,000 electric vehicles over the next five years as part of a nearly $10 billion spending plan. The new plan has the support of the White House, which has spent a year pressing the agency for more electrics. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has more. The Postal Service's plans for its future fleet of delivery vehicles is shifting into a new gear. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy at a press conference outside USPS headquarters says the agency's next generation delivery fleet is going to be at least 75% electric vehicles. That's a big jump up from the 50% electrification plan USPS committed to in July. DeJoy says USPS will continue to explore the financial and operational feasibility of achieving 100% electrification for the overall USPS delivery fleet. We will immediately begin the long-term initiative of preparing our facilities to accept these vehicles to operate in our nation's communities in a mission-capable way. This will be done in a tightly coordinated manner with other Postal Service network modernization initiatives. As I have said from the beginning of this journey, the Postal Service needed to replace our 30-year-old fleet of unsafe vehicles, which was specifically designed to do our unique work. The tremendous initiative we are now announcing today is directionally where we anticipated landing all along. The new USPS plan has the support of the White House, which pressed the agency for a much larger commitment to electric vehicles for much of this year. The White House says USPS under its new strategy will exceed President Joe Biden's requirement for each agency to electrify its federal fleet. Brenda Mallory, chairwoman of the White House Council on Environmental Quality, says USPS is walking the walk on climate and sustainability goals. This announcement lays a pathway that will help achieve all of President Biden's climate goals and make a real dent in our efforts to tackle the climate crisis. The Postal Service is cementing itself as a leader in accelerating the expansion of electric vehicles across the United States and proving that it can continue delivering its trusted services in a cleaner, more effective way. That's huge. When we think of the federal government's footprint and the impact of our decisions on the larger market, this really makes a difference. John Podesta, senior advisor to the president for clean energy innovation and implementation, says USPS is leading the charge for electric vehicles in the federal government with one of the most recognizable vehicles in the country. Nearly every neighborhood in America sees them on a daily basis. Millions of Americans are on a first-name basis with their local postal worker. So it's wonderful that the Postal Service will be at the forefront of the switch to clean electric vehicles with postal workers as their ambassadors. It's about showing every community what the future of transportation looks like and that this future is already here. Podesta says USPS has the second highest carbon footprint of any federal agency, driven almost entirely by its fleet of vehicles. Converting to clean electric vehicles is an essential part of making sure that the federal government is walking the walk on climate and a big demand signal to the rest of the transportation sector to go electric. In short, with this bold fleet modernization plan, Postal Service is positioning itself to be a leader on climate action. So by the numbers, USPS expects to purchase 45,000 electric vehicles by 2028 through its next-generation delivery vehicle contract with Oshkosh Defense. The agency also expects to purchase 15,000 gas-powered next-generation delivery vehicles from the vendor. 
As part of this plan, USPS is committing to only purchasing electric next-generation delivery vehicles starting in 2026. That plan puts USPS well ahead of the Biden administration's green government goals. President Joe Biden signed an executive order last year requiring all federal agencies to purchase 100% zero-emission vehicles by 2035 and purchase only zero-emission light-duty vehicles starting in 2027. So the Postal Service is one year ahead of that government-wide goal. There's another element to this plan as well. DeJoy told reporters that USPS plans to purchase an additional 21,000 commercial off-the-shelf electric vehicles over the next five years to keep providing its workforce with the most efficient electric vehicles as the technology improves. We think the market, and we always thought the market's going to evolve a lot. That's why we're looking at the commercial off-the-shelf vehicles, too, that we can deploy. But don't make no mistake. I mean, we need purpose-built vehicle for us, the NGDV, is very, very important. First of all, we have to be on the right side, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, these vehicles have a lot of special considerations. I mean, we've had a thousand butts sit in a seat before we approve it. DeJoy says plans to acquire 100,000 new vehicles gets USPS halfway to its goal of replacing its aging fleet of vehicles, some of which are more than 30 years old. USPS received $3 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act to buy more electric vehicles and acquire more charging infrastructure than it could acquire on its own. USPS, which is largely self-funded through its own revenue, is putting up the remaining $6.6 billion for the capital investment. DeJoy says this latest iteration of the USPS electric vehicle plan is the product of extensive collaboration with the White House. DeJoy says that the Inflation Reduction Act funding means USPS will be able to get charging infrastructure in place at as many as 500 facilities. This really mitigates the risk and puts a, a you know a purposeful plan out there. And when, when, when you could do that, you know what it's like to accept 20,000 electric vehicles into a system a year? I mean, you got to be wrong. I want, I want to be built out a year ahead of time. It's not my capital sitting out there but where I have so many other eminent, immediate needs. So the way the thing was structured and the way we went back and used it and, and worked with John Podesta and the White House team to say, look, this is what could be acceptable, doable for us. So let us build out the infrastructure and then we'll, we'll barter on how much we put in vehicles, how much up it goes and, and, and so forth. USPS has committed to buying more electric vehicles several times since awarding its next-generation delivery contract to Oshkosh Defense in February. DeJoy told Congress after the contract award that USPS expected electric vehicles would make up at least 10% of its next-generation fleet and that the agency would buy more electric vehicles if it could afford them. USPS a month later doubled its order for electric vehicles in the first purchase order made to Oshkosh Defense. The agency says it would purchase 10,000 electric next-gen vehicles, or about 20% of its overall order. USPS in July committed that electric vehicles would make up half of its total next-generation fleet. DeJoy says it remains unclear what the new USPS plans will mean for three ongoing lawsuits filed this spring when the agency was pursuing a majority gas-powered fleet. I would hope that you know the people that have sued us because they felt we were disregarding the environment. I hope they see that uh, that is, first of all, it was never the case, never the intention, uh, and that we're on the right path with that. And I hope they celebrate our decision just like the White House team has. So what happens to that aging fleet that the USPS no longer needs? DeJoy says USPS will send some decommissioned trucks to museums, but it remains unclear if there's a market for selling the rest of them off. Want to buy one? <laughs> I'll give you a deal. I'm Postmaster General. I'll give you a good discount, right? Jory Heckman, Federal News Network. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership Today. 
especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, and on, a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know often when you'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he 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 faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that uh, 
I, I, Tim Shriver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yep. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the greatest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.